Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. Hey, Marketing Besties. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Marketing Hill Mashup, where we jump headfirst into the juiciest takes from marketing's greatest minds in a quest to find the answer to one essential question. What is the marketing hill they would die on? Audio. It's what you are listening to right now, and you're not alone. Your audience is too. That's why marketers are upping their investment in audio. But how? Odyssey's latest state of audio walks us through planning tips and creative how-tos. Visit stateofaudio.com to learn more. I hope everybody had a safe and successful Black Friday and Cyber Monday. I may or may not have gone all out on these Black Friday deals. Don't tell my wife, Ari. As a creator myself, I can safely say that sometimes we might be known to have big personalities. Honestly, it's true. Well, not for me. And this can pose a hurdle when working with influencers. But how can we avoid that? What's the best way to cultivate influencer relationships as a marketer? I'll let LinkedIn influencer Brendan Gahan explain. On the influencer marketing side, I would say like recognize that you're dealing with personalities. And I think um, relationships are really, really important. Um, I think the mistake that a lot of folks in like the agency world and just in brand world, like just marketers in general can sort of fall into when it comes to thinking about creators and where to sort of categorize them and how to approach them is like looking at them as a media channel first and foremost, but there's something new, you know, they're like, they're a friend to their, their, you know, uh, subscribers and followers, they're a production company, they're creative, they're a media company. Like there, there's something new. And I think we sort of fall in a bad, I would say that we marketers oftentimes fall into this, um, bad habit of bracketing them as like a media channel first and foremost. And I think that's a big mistake. Um, I would also say if like somebody was going out there and getting into influencer marketing today to like launch a brand or build like an influencer marketing agency, the space is so vast now that I would really think about defining a niche. Um, and it maybe even a niche within a niche. Cause like there's so much content out there. There's so many management companies. There's so many different types of creators. I think to distinguish yourself, you really need to be specific. Advertising that pushes the boundaries and wins awards is great, but does it actually move the needle? Not according to the founder of 
for the interested Josh Bechter. Josh believes creativity doesn't mean squat unless you're providing some kind of value for your audience. I really think everything comes down to providing value. That if you're not providing value to people, nothing's going to work. It doesn't matter how creative it is. It doesn't matter how clever it is. And I think sometimes people get caught up in fancy pictures, flashy videos, stuff that looks noteworthy or is, oh, it's so clever. You know, it's interesting. You look at like, and this is a little goes into advertising too, but like the kind of stuff that wins awards a lot of times doesn't actually move the needle, right? They're, they're just in love with their own sort of creativity. And a lot of times it feels like the audience or the customer, whatever comes second. And I definitely have a sort of customer audience first mentality, right? I reverse engineer everything. What do they want? right? How can I help them make the transformation, get from point A to point B? And everything I do should be aligned to do that, right? That that to me, that's the key to any good marketing. And the other hill I would die on, I just thought of it as I said that word is, I see a lot of alignment problems with messaging, right? I see a lot of problems where, and, and I deal with a lot of sort of individual creator types, And it's always fascinating to me where I'll start and ask them, you know, what are you trying to do or what are you trying to sell? Who are you trying to serve? All that kind of stuff. And a lot of times they'll give me these answers and then I'll go to their Twitter bio, I'll go to their website and I'll be like, none of those words you just used are there, (laughs) right? Like you, and they assume they have a product problem, a service problem, a growth problem or whatever. And I'm like, you have an alignment problem you know, your messaging is not matching up what you're saying you're to me that you want to do or try to do or who you want to serve, right? And I think that a lot of problems people have that they think are marketing problems are really alignment problems. An example I use a lot of times, and this sort of ties to, to newsletters as well, is let's say that your web designer who specializes in building websites for restaurant owners. The newsletter that that person, is they read all the stuff and they go, I need a newsletter, right? Or I need to be on Twitter and I need to do this. And the content they start creating is about how to build websites. Makes sense. That's what their expertise is, right? Here's how to do this. Here's how to do that. Here's you know my take on web design and all this stuff. And they start maybe even building an audience. Oh, it's, it's working. But they go, but I'm not getting clients. Well, you're not getting clients because Restaurant owners don't give a crap about web design. That's what they're going to pay you to do. They don't want to know about the new WordPress plugin. You're creating content, a newsletter, tweets, whatever, that's attracting other website designers. And it might be amazing content, but it's not aligned with who you want to reach. What you should be doing in that scenario is tweeting about or creating a newsletter about how to grow your restaurant business. Because your target audience, restaurant owners, want to know that. And your newsletter attracts them. And then you can even use your bit. They build trust in you and they see that you understand their business. And you're going to be the guy that they're going to hire to build their website. Now, the obvious response to that from people is, but I don't know anything about restaurant growth. I know about web design. That's where curation comes in. You can go to Google. You can do searches. You can find 
articles and resources about restaurant growth. And you can share that stuff. It doesn't have to be your own expertise. You could even go a step further and host a podcast where you interview restaurant owners about how they grew their restaurant. And your web design business functions almost like a sponsor of it. But the whole key is if you're attracting an audience that is not the audience that you ultimately want to sell to or want to be customers, you can fool yourself into thinking you're succeeding. I've got lots of Twitter followers. I've got lots of whatever, but you have an alignment problem. You have the wrong people. Audio, it's what you're listening to right now and you're not alone. Your audience is too. That's why marketers are upping their investments in audio and seeing 1.5 times return on ad spend. But what should that investment look like? Odyssey, a leading audio entertainment company, has the answer in their latest state of audio. A practical playbook covering planning tips, creative how-tos, and innovative trends. Visit stateofaudio.com to learn more. Omnichannel marketing is more than just the latest marketing buzzword. It's the only strategy Robin Daniels thinks businesses need to consider in order to survive. Let's see what the chief business officer for LMS 365 and my good friend Robin Daniels had to say about why that's the case. If we're only going to rely on one tactic to build a holistic strategy, I would absolutely die on the hill that this is not the right way. I think the best marketing strategies is really a mix of a couple of different things. It's a mix of digital because you get, get the, the thing about digital is we just covered it. You get fast results, lots of data, but you're also going to get, you can spend endless amounts of money if you just only over, rely on that channel. And also a lot of, I think, especially in B2B, you can get a lot of crap inbound, which means that you're wasting either money or trust with your sales team by giving them stuff that's not the best quality. The second is your content. Content, I think, is something that is amazing, but it requires a lot of thought in what is our differentiation, what's our storyline, how are we going to put it out, how are we going to distribute it, all the stuff we talked about. You're not going to get instant results there. It's going to take weeks, maybe even months to start really seeing the results from that. But it's one of the best ways to really create that momentum in your business. And then finally, I think, to really create that movement that people fall in love with, I think of community-based marketing, word-of-mouth marketing, event marketing, where you get either in front of your your customers or prospects, or they self-organize and you help you know, like, like encourage that, like self-organizing communities, word-of-mouth, one of the best ways to create lo love and loyalty. But guess what? That also takes the longest of all of them. But that's where you're going to get your best customers, your most loyal customers, and so on. That takes longer time to do. So you got digital, which is fast. You got, I think, organic and content marketing, which is like a medium speed. And then you got like this, like loyalty, community marketing takes a little bit longer. A good marketing strategy has to be all of them in my mind. Like I would say if a, somebody says you can just only do one of these, you're already setting up the team to fail. Like, yes, you can, of course, if you just want to create a transactional brand, nobody really cares about the moment something better comes along yeah just invest all your money i think in digital but if you want to create a brand that really stands the test of time which again a lot of companies come to me and say they want to do then you have to invest in all three it can't be one or the other but it's not it's not only one of them 
because if we only invest in loyalty marketing, word of mouth marketing, you know, community marketing, you're not going to see the short-term results either from that. That takes too long. You have to be able to balance it and dial one up or down. So to clarify, the hill I would die on is absolutely to have to choose one and not do all of the ones to actually create these legendary companies. Going in a little deep in that is I've seen a lot of people invest heavily in digital and what ended up happening, because good marketers know how to execute a digital campaign and capture the demand that's already in the market that's happening. Great marketers know how to create a story in the market and bring new customers or change the minds of people who are going to go to their customer and come to to them. But the only way to do that, and I've seen this plenty of times, is when people don't invest in these brand efforts or these community efforts is when you go talk to a customer and or the sales team goes talk to the customer, they, they're like, who, who are you? What do you do? And you have the the sales team spends more time educating the buyer than <laughs> actually actually trying to sell them. Marketing's job is to make that process way easier for sales. So, but but it also requires there's there's one thing we don't talk enough about in marketing is it requires courage and conviction to invest in some of these things that are a little bit harder to measure. And when the conversation I see it a lot online, oh, don't work for a CEO doesn't get marketing. I think it needs to be reframed as. Don't work for a CEO who doesn't support marketing because that's really what we're talking about. I, I don't expect a CEO to understand all the nuances of marketing. I don't expect a CPO to do so. Just like I don't understand how to build great products in the same way or how to, I don't understand finance the same way. But at the same time, I think you have to work for a CEO and a board and executive team that really loves and supports marketing. And is understanding the journey that you need to take to get to that point. Lead social media strategists for Crayola sounds like the coolest job title ever. Well, lucky for us, the marketing icon in that role, Denny Trevino, has a marketing hill she would die on. Her take is very colorful. The marketing hill I would die on is that you need to separate tasks by jobs very specifically because it is complete bullshit to like get hired for a company and you think, oh, like this is a social media person. But then maybe sometimes there's like not enough team or resources to support that role or that person. And then they expect you to be like a data analyst and like a videographer and a graphic designer and also like the brand manager, the photographer, like all of those are significantly very different jobs. If you hire somebody first, like one of those roles, be really mindful of the job description because I've definitely seen it's happened to me. It's happened to people I know where you get hired for one thing and then you get, they find out you have another skill and then that slowly just gets imported into your job description and then you don't get compensated for that. Or they... This happens all the time. They add a new channel and that channel requires certain skill sets that you might not have or have, but it's going to cause actual work. Like if you were solely someone doing IG back in the day and doing grid, and then they said, do TikTok. Now you have to do video and editing and all this stuff that is a whole job in itself. It just adds this whole another complication to the role. When people simply think like, 
oh, go on TikTok, like let's start doing a TikTok account. There's so much that goes into starting a TikTok account than people, than what people think it is. Or when older people or like who are higher up in the company are like, have you thought about going on TikTok? Like, would this have a TikTok strategy? And you're like, I'm working on it. Like, I know we should be on TikTok. It's harder than you think it is. And that's also, isn't that always like the pigeonhole of social media is that everyone thinks it's so much easier than it actually is. Especially like like older people who aren't on it, like my grandparents' age who are like in their 70s. Like me trying to explain to them what my career is. They're like, what do you just do? You work from home? Like you're always on social media? Like you run errands? Like you have the flexibility? Like what is this? Like you don't have a real job. And I'm just like, well, I, I own my house. Like I do have a real job. <laughs> Yeah, it's hilarious because it's also social media. Everybody, ha- most people have some sort of social media account. So everybody thinks that, oh, just because they posted on social media or their friend is an influencer that they understand social media. But it, like social media management is different than being a great creator on one platform. It's such a different role. There's so much also internal things like you talked about at the beginning of this podcast all the onboarding you have to do, all the brand stuff you have to think about, all the demographics. Like if you're just an individual creator, that's nothing you have to deal with. Most of the time, you don't have to deal with any of that internal stuff. So people just are don't understand what it takes to be a social media manager just because they have an account. Yeah, that's true. And also the historic like, okay, what has worked in the past. Like you have to get updated. You have to like learn all of the context of your job too. And then also think of, okay, well, we've done that and it's been successful. Like how can we change it and move this line forward? So it's very interesting. And then also, you know, making sure you're aligned with your established brand voice and your brand guidelines. And then being a brand, like the brand aspect of it is so interesting. And I've always gravitated toward that. That's why I've always worked in internal versus my partner who does paid social media works in an agency in our job our worlds are so different one of the hottest takes i've heard in 2023 is from my good friend tamara krominski she thinks that product marketing isn't actually a marketing role i'll let her explain more in this marketing hill. The marketing hill that I would die on is that product marketing is actually not a marketing function. Ooh, could we dive into that a little bit? What what, what do you think? Yeah, so product marketing, honestly, it's, it's hard to be a product marketer. You have like two different people in your name. You have product and you have marketing. You're like that middle child. You just really don't belong anywhere. And so I always say, the number one question I always get asked is, where should product marketing sit in an org, under product or under marketing? And as I started to, you know, earlier in my career, really refine my answer to this, I realized that it's actually neither of them. So my whole thesis is that product marketing is a business strategy function. And as such, it should actually sit outside product or marketing. So when I used to work at Unbounce, I was our chief strategy officer and product marketing sat under me directly in my strategic growth department. So I had like product marketing, customer lifecycle marketing, and partnerships. And so that allowed us to be completely unbiased to marketing and to product. We truly were 
those intermediaries, the mediators, the people who are taking those strategies and bridging them together or forming strategy and collaborating with the other two teams. I think when you sit in marketing or you sit in product, you start to over index on some parts of that. And so, you know, when people say product marketers are marketers, it's like, yes, there's marketing strategy as part of our job. Marketing execution is a component of how we bring our strategies to life as much as product strategy is, to be honest, or customer strategy or even financial strategy. But really, like, we do ourselves a disservice by calling ourselves marketers because what we don't do is like write blog posts, create collateral, build channel strategy. It really is a business strategy. I love that because I come from marketing ops. And when I saw, when we went cut off from the marketing org and went into just RevOps, which RevOps just sat in like as this unbiased wheel, we can give marketing opinions that like this is how we think you should change your like strategy this is the data we're seeing and it can be changed from what the cmo said our priorities are we actually went what the priorities of the whole business was which was helped me become more of like a strategic partner to them instead of a a support function inside it that's exactly it so i i resonate that from like the marketing ops side because marketing <laughs> ops marketing ops even though it has marketing in the title is technically like a strategic function that is supposed to make marketing processes and technology more efficient and more strategic. So that's a great insight. I don't think many people talk about product marketing like that. So that's cool. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.